it's Loom Group's Andrea Lay, Backview's Melissa Burdick, the wizard of Woodland Hills Shree, and I'm PVSB from Flywheel, a division of Omnicom, and I'm coming to you today from the Catskills. Be playing Heckinger's Tuesdays and Thursdays. Before we get to the CPG Guys episode you've downloaded, it's the week of May 6th, and it's time for the Fresh Four, for curated news stories from the past week. We find them dependably intriguing. We hope you do too. We're brought to you through our partnership with Retail Wit, your one-stop shop for retail industry intelligence news, retailwit.com. It's retail right now. Over to you, Shree. In case you're wondering what this background is, I'm at, I'm at my father-in-law's house all the way in Chennai, India for the next couple of weeks. So what's the message of the week? Kroger Precision Marketing strikes a partnership with none other than Yahoo DSP. So Yahoo DSP advertisers now have access to KPM's audiences for both reach and measurement. Partnership marks KPM's second DSP partnership since last fall and ushers in a new focus on commerce media for Yahoo advertising in particular. Collaborations like this one will define the next phase of growth in retail media as retailers recognize the limitations of monetization on their own digital properties and seek incremental growth by expanding offsite. This is said by Sara Marzano, principal analyst at eMarketer. For advertisers, the delayed but still impending deprecation of third-party cookies, which is now on its way, continues to underpin every decision regarding digital advertising dollars. So solutions that safeguard their investments against that hold increasing appeal. Over to you, Andrea. Hello, Fresh 4 listeners. Walmart adds a new grocery line to its private brand's portfolio. Walmart has announced a new private label grocery brand called Better Goods. The line includes 300 items spanning categories such as frozen, dairy, snacks, beverages, pasta, soups, coffee, and chocolate. With most items priced under $5, Better Goods focuses on three key components, culinary experiences, plant-based, and made without. The retailer said Better Goods marks not only its largest private food brand launch in two decades, but also its fastest grocery brand brought to market. Over to you, Melissa. Thanks, Andrea. Uh, so, Savemark companies roll out in-store retail media networks. It's not enough that we have online. Now we're moving to in-store retail media networks. The Savemark companies plans to roll out in-store connect, an in-store retail media network powered by Quad Graphics Inc. To start, 16 of the grocery company stores will have digital screens, kiosks, end caps, shelf screens, and vertical banners throughout, allowing CPG partners to showcase promotions, product information, and recommendations to shoppers. The program will eventually roll out to all the Savemark companies, approximately 200 stores. This is Savemark's latest retail media effort, coming almost a year after a launch of its own retail media network. Over to you, Peter. Thanks, Melissa. Rite Aid expands Uber Eats' partnership for alcohol delivery in eight states. Nearly 1,000 Rite Aid stores will now offer alcohol delivery via retailers' expanded partnership with Uber Eats. Customers of legal drinking aid can get delivery from select stores in California, Idaho, Michigan, New York, Ohio, Oregon, Virginia, and Washington. Quote, our collaboration and trusted partnership with Uber Eats underscores our commitment to meet the evolving needs of our customers and providing a seamless digital shopping experience complements their busy lives, unquote, said Jeannie Walden, Senior Vice President and Chief Marketing Officer at Rite Aid, the U.S.'s third largest pharmacy retailer. That's it for the Fresh Four. Now on to the CPG Guys episode that you've downloaded. Welcome to another episode of the CPG Guys podcast. Our co-hosts, Sri Rajagopalan and Peter V.S. Bond, 
explore how brands and retailers engage with consumers online, in-store, and everywhere in between. And now, here are Sri and Peter. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to this episode of the CPG Guys podcast. I'm Sri coming to you from sunny Southern California. And of course, one of the aforementioned CPG guys, and if I could play the piano, this is where you'd hear the tune. My other co-host is the CPG guy and also the VP of Partner and Strategy and Development at Fetch Rewards, a mobile loyalty platform. Mr. Bond, do me a favor here. Tell me how you're doing and give me the 60-second spiel. What does Fetch Rewards do? Uh, how am I doing? I just moved into a new house today. There are boxes everywhere. My daughter is screaming from the shower up, uh, the bath upstairs. So, uh, you know, I'm doing as best as can be expected. And Fetch, well, we're a mobile loyalty platform. we got about 10 million people who use our mobile app. They scan the register receipts. We give them uh, we give them in return points that they can redeem for gift cards. And, and we incentivize them to buy brands uh, that they love to buy. So that's, in a nutshell, what Fetch is. So you give them points and they get stuff for free. Is that what it comes down to in simple get English? points, get stuff, scan register receipts, get receipt rich. That's our hashtag. Do you know what else is freely available, Peter? It's the content and uh, CPG I think guys. I do, but why don't you tell us? It's the content and CPG guys. You don't have to pay. Isn't that How great? How about that, huh, Peter? Free. What a novel concept. But thank you, Peter. But before we get to our guests, let me remind our audience that all of our content, including our series on profitability, our women's leadership series, and our founder series may be found by visiting cpgguys.com. And of course, if you aren't already part of this growing family on LinkedIn, which has crossed 7,000 close-knit community, please just go to linkedin.com on the search bar, simply type CPG guys and hit the blue button, which is a plus button, and you can follow us. Why? So that you can actually continue to be part of transformation in the industry and join the dialogue to shape who comes to the show and what topics we discuss. And of course, we've already mentioned just like rewards and gift cards, the content is totally free. Today, we're going to have a conversation with Peace Ignite as part of a two-part series in which part one has already been released. If you haven't heard part one, scroll back a few weeks and look for Peace Ignite episode one with Austin Wildmore. I really enjoyed his English accent, Peter. Did you? I loved it. It was it was melodic. It was quite soothing. Again, the Aerodite piano thing comes to mind, you know. Again, the piano thing. Peter and I and I are going to talk about the pianos because the Yankees suck once more and the Dodgers are leading everything. And the World Series is going to be Tampa and the Dodgers. I'll acknowledge it. But this year, it's the year of Tampa and not Dodgers. So end of story. Uh, so that conversation with Austin Wilmore was a few weeks ago. But Peace Ignite is the company focused on working with a Salesforce set of solutions to enable workflow-based solutions that leverage data, IoT, AI, and ML. Join Peter and me in welcoming to our podcast, Doug Miller, the CEO, and Alan Lindsay, VP of Product Management. Folks, I know I used a lot of acronyms right there. We're going to ask you those questions to decompose them, but welcome to the show. Thank you very much, Reed. Thanks for to be here. Doug, before we can really take a deeper dive into what Peace Ignite does and creates value for your uh, users and for your partners, can you take a second to tell our audience if they want to learn more about Peace Ignite and the solutions you all offer, what is a brief overview they can walk away with here and how do they do that? Sure. So PS Ignite can be found on the web at www.psignite.com. 
PSNet was founded as a vertical industry cloud solutions company. What we do in a nutshell is to develop mission critical applications for vertical industries. And we chose Salesforce as our platform on which to build our applications. Really, the first industry we've chosen to focus on is consumer packaged goods. And this was primarily because we identified a couple of key areas we knew were not well addressed. So what we've done is develop two significant solutions for this market, which we'll share with you today. Doug, in earlier discussions, um, I've learned a lot about what you do and the company does and how it delivers value. But the very first question I'm going to jump into right away is for you, Doug. And of course, for our audience, what you just mentioned, the website address, the hyperlinks, etc., can always be found on the um, uh, liner notes for this podcast digitally. So please uh, do take a look when you get a second, folks. Doug, the first and simple question I have for you is what is the mission of this company? And I used big words a little while ago. I referred to IoT, AI, machine uh, level language, and the use of data. Can you bring these back together and tell us what the mission is? Yeah, so um, as we go through the course, we'll really touch on each of those technologies, such as AI, machine learning, and IoT, which is Internet of Things, and how our applications leverage those to bring value to customers. Um, but in a nutshell, our mission is to provide business users with great software to address key business challenges within specific vertical industries. To take this one step further, we want to ensure that vertical industries um, vertical industries that Salesforce is penetrating have available to them those critical applications which help complete the industry vertical cloud solution suites Salesforce is putting together. For example, the products we're discussing today fit nicely into Salesforce's consumer goods cloud. Hey, Doug. Hey, Alan. How you doing? It's good to have you on the episode today. Maybe. Hey, it's it, what I'd like to talk to you about is actually Salesforce. Now, Salesforce has many different clouds. They have a marketing cloud, a sales cloud, a service cloud. They have lots of clouds. You chose to build PS Ignite solutions on top of their clouds. Can you tell us how that came about? What was kind of the driving force behind leveraging an existing platform technology to enhance upon it? Yeah, great question. So you so you sort of said it when you said cloud, 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 right? Um, it's Salesforce that back in 2000 really started the huge shift that's been taking place to cloud applications. And since then, Salesforce has established themselves as the global leader for cloud computing. Today, Salesforce holds 90% of the Fortune 500 companies as their customers, along with a significant number of CPG companies. But beyond simply their scale, Salesforce has tremendous market momentum and offers great technology with the flexible application infrastructure. So, and in addition to that, our company background is also in providing services to Salesforce customers. One of our key board members actually founded a Salesforce services company, which grew from 2 million to 70 million in revenue in the past five or six years. And additionally, a number of our developers came to PS Ignite from that company. So because of this, we have great relationships with Salesforce, and we're also super confident that it's a safe infrastructure that offers scalability, security, and a global community of users and support for our customers. As a modern cloud company, Salesforce serves not only as a platform for our offerings, 
but also as a digital transformation platform that will protect our customers' investments going forward. Excellent. Thank you for that, Doug. Alan, we're going to get into your world. You've got the envious title of VP of Product Management, which means the success of everything you'll create, including what goes into those products and the feature set, are really in your hands at the end of the day. No pressure, man. But take us into the world of the offerings that you all have. Uh, basically, give us a list and tell us where each one of those things actually applies in the market, in the industry. Great. Thanks, Sri. Yes, um, we have uh, two primary products and solutions at the moment. Uh, one is called Optimizer CG or Optimizer Consumer Goods. And it's really focused around the business problem of trade promotion optimization or TPO. The other one is Smart Asset CG, again, for uh, consumer goods, and is a solution to help manage um, branded refrigerated assets out into the field. So at the... Um, at a high level, they, they appear to be quite different solutions, uh, but they both satisfy problems in the consumer goods market, uh, and they both share some common uh, um, technology challenges that, we, that we're building out. So as Doug mentioned earlier, um, we, we take the approach of being very data-driven in our applications. So we have data scientists that build out machine learning models or ML models and artificial intelligence models to help with analytics and making uh, recommendations. So to give an example of that, with our um, optimizer CG solution, it's really around um, trying to optimize the trade spend that is used in generating promotions. We've all experienced this. You go to a Kroger or a Publix, you see a buy one, get one free coupon. And the, the funding that is used to pay for that promotion is actually paid for by the manufacturer. It's a huge amount of money that they spend. Typically between 20 to 40% of their revenue is spent on trade spend. And so any, any solution, process, methodology that can optimize that trade spend uh, generates significant ROI. On the smart assets point of view, um, again, when you think of uh, consumer goods that have refrigerated products, frozen products, think of your uh, adult beverages, soft drinks, ice creams, they provide branded fridges and freezers out to their customers into the market. And that is, they're typically given away uh, for free with the intention that that drives sales and revenue of their products through those branded assets. But, you know, up to 6% of them aren't working at any given time. Um, they get lost, they get stolen, they're not working, they're not operating at the correct temperature. And that leads to loss of sales uh, of the products and also a loss of, um, of brand. Um, if you go into... Um, you know, a, a cafe and you've got a branded beverage and it's not the right temperature, you're getting a, a warm soda. No one wants that. And it's the brand that, that gets the hit, not the, not the cafe. So again, our smart asset solution is really around managing um, those assets in the field, making sure that they're running, identifying stockouts and, and driving the business processes back through the Salesforce ecosystem. Alan, you had me a data scientist. That's just my background. I love that. So welcome to the show. Here's my question for you. 
I'd like to know what are the industry verticals that you're targeting? You, you gave us one example with the front end coolers. Uh, I'd like to understand some of the problems, uh, the, the, high, the high level problems that they're facing and really how you've built products to address that and deliver measurable value. Okay, well, we can take both both products uh, one after the other. So for Optimizer, um, it's in primarily uh, sub-verticals inside of consumer goods. So fast-moving consumer goods, FMCG, uh, consumer products. Effectively, think of anything you see on promotion. Now, the data, think of um, as a consumer, every time a product is scanned through a till, um, that is a piece of data that is captured. Uh, called POS, point of sales data. Think of that across all of the stores, all of the products uh, we identify through um, um, discovery where uh, products are being promoted. Um, and all of that is data that can be provided back to the manufacturers to use to help make better decisions around when to promote, how often to promote, how, how large the discount should be. But it's a huge amount of data. So one of the challenges that we've addressed is that on the Salesforce platform, which has got fantastic technology for generating um, user experience, the Lightning UI, um, and we use that for the, the UI and for authentication and authorization. But typical Salesforce clouds don't cope with large amounts of data. So we provide the managed service running on Heroku, which is effectively the uh, big data cloud platform provided by Salesforce so we can absorb all of that data, you know, daily level, store level data of all of your products, and then build big data applications and data models around that data um, to provide both insights, analytics, you know, visual dashboards, as well as machine learning models that help um, optimize that data. If we take the smart assets as solution, again, think of any vertical where you've got branded refrigerated products or frozen products, ice cream, sodas. Um, the challenge there is that we are, um, we gather data from those devices, IoT data, Internet of Things data. So think of the sensor data around what temperature is it? Um, what is it? Is it powered on? Um, what is the power consumption? Information like that, we can do predictive analytics to determine whether there'll be a failure or a likely failure of that asset. So we can proactively send out a service technician to ensure the, the asset is up and running. But that generates, again, huge amounts of information, which is great. And we have the platform to um, bring all of that information in, drive analytics, and provide predictive um, analytics and drive business processes through the Salesforce platform. All right, Alan, as the boss of product development again, we're going to bring home the connection between the words artificial intelligence, machine learning, and IoT you just alluded to with the sensors just uh, in the previous question. But for our audience, connect the two products you have in the marketplace to AI and machine learning. Okay. So, as I mentioned, both of those products, uh, we capture large amounts of, of, of information, of data, whether that's the point of sales data or the telemetry data that you get from IoT. We use machine learning to actually build predictive models. 
to determine and to predict what's going to happen in the future given particular inputs. So things like um, from an optimizer point of view, we want to try and calculate, we do calculate what the base sales are. So what is your level of unpromoted sales in the future? And we can then also, based on inputs, calculate what the promoted or total volume would be for a promotion given a price discount, whether it's on feature, uh, whether it's a TPR or temporary price reduction. So through these models, we can predict what the volume is going to be in the future and hence what the revenue is, what the margin is going to be. And that's part of an, an important concept called a pre-event evaluation to determine, am I running a good promotion? Because most organizations don't know. They will promote and they've got no idea whether it's going to be successful or not. So you need machine learning models to, to, uh, to do that. The next step of machine learning is artificial intelligence, which is basically where the system itself makes suggestions to you. So typically an account manager would say, I'm going to create a promotion in, you know, uh, what's this? It's um, September. I'm going to create one for um, January. I'm going to do it for this product. So it's going to be this discount. It's going to be on display. And the system, if it's got a predictive model, will generate a volume for that. What we want to get to is to say, Hey, model, you've got all information. You know the, you know all of the, the variables involved. When should I promote? What should I promote? How big a discount should I make in order for me to maximize a target? Is it a margin target, a volume target? So our solution in Optimizer CG actually suggests to the account manager what it should do. And that's the artificial intelligence part of, of the solution from a, an optimizer point of view. When we think of smart assets, again, we're gathering all of that information, the telemetry, uh, IoT data, and we can do a very common use of machine learning, which is a predictive maintenance. So um, we gather information like um, vibration of the compressor, say on, on, a, an, on a freezer, noise, the power utilization. From that, we can determine along with historic um, outages, what are the, what's the telemetry that tends to occur before an outage? So when the compressor makes more noise or when it vibrates more, we can predict then at what point it's going to fail. And because of that, we can proactively send in a service ticket to the nominated organization is responsible for servicing that, that asset to send a technician out before it breaks, ensuring that the asset is up um, all the time. So again, that's the machine learning predictive uh, use case. An AI use case is we have um, augmented our, our solution with uh, data called uh, geopopularity. So this is where um, we can determine, if you look at a map, you know where all the restaurants are where all of the sightseeing locations are, where all the cafes are, um, locations that sell alcohol, um, sightseeing locations. So we would obviously want some of these refrigerated assets to be around those things. If it's going to be a kids' amusement park, we want to have some ice cream assets out there. So what the system can do is to tell you which assets should go where. And because we have all of the cost information, we know what products should be sold in those um, assets. 
we can actually tell you the ROI of moving an asset from one location to another that will drive significantly more revenue. So it's about making suggestions based on all of the data. So in both solutions, in both smart assets and an optimizer, we have machine learning to help make predictions, but also artificial intelligence to make suggestions of what you should do based on all of that information. Alan, that's terrific. So Alan, you helped us answer what were what were the industry verticals you're going after? My question to you, Doug, is who are the archetype stakeholders that are going to have tremendous interest in your solution addressing these burning issues that they are facing? Yeah, so that is actually a very straightforward question. The key stakeholders for our solutions are the drivers of revenue within the CPG businesses. For Optimizer, it's those revenue growth managers and key account managers who have responsibility for planning and executing all the trade promotions of products within their distribution channels and partners. For Smart Assets, it's the asset and account managers who leverage branded fridges and freezers to drive incremental sales within their accounts. Certainly, the chief financial officers are stakeholders since they're very interested in how spend gets optimized across the business and, in fact, how it generates the type of return on investment and impact on the bottom line of the company. And ultimately, the CEO. The CEO would be interested in our solutions because they play a key role in impacting revenue growth from the assets in the field, which are quite expensive, and also from the optimization of the company's promotional spend. Excellent. Thank you so much for that, Doug. Back to you, Alan. It feels like I get to ask you all the fun questions, Alan. That's the way we set this up. So how about that, huh? Uh, So I'm going to get into the world of outcomes. And, you know, we talked a little bit about AI, IoT, machine learning. Fairly clear, if you ask me, based on your explanations. But all of us in leadership positions, leading brands or at retailers, were measured based on, you know, the investment decisions we choose to make are based on the ROI that we bring back to whoever brands, whatever brand we represent at the end of the day, right? When we choose to work with you and your platform and the capabilities you've described earlier on the show, how is value created to generate ROI? How do you measure it in the first place? And do you agree up front and work on a set of metrics that I established so that this can indeed be measured and monitored? Uh, yes, I, I mean, ROI and return on investment, if I uh, spell out the acronym, um, is critically important, um, both in um, sort of justifying the project itself uh, and also into measuring. Alan, hold on one second. Peter, we had a first on the CPG guys. One of the CPG guys was corrected by the audience that it's not okay to drop acronyms. Thank you, Alan. Now, please continue. So um, ROI or return on investment is is critically important for uh, two reasons. One is obviously for the client uh, to measure the success of the implementation and ensure that they are making a return on the investment that they make to us. And the reason ROI is important for us is because it helps us justify uh, through a business case the reasons you should invest in, in the software and the services to deliver that. So the ROI for optimizer and smart assets, as you can imagine, is slightly different, but they're they're typically quite easy to measure. For optimizer and in trade promotion planning, there is a key metric, which is around um, 
trade rate ROI, trade rate return on investment. It basically says for every dollar that I spend on trade promotion, how much revenue does it generate or how much margin does it generate? And, and in some situations, how much volume does it generate? So at an aggregate level, it's very easy to understand what your trade rate is. What customers struggle to understand is when they get down to individual promotions or accounts or brands, what is the ROI that I'm generating out of those at, at, at that individual level? So what we do is we improve the ROI of the trade rate. So through better promotion tactics by better pricing. Um, a, a common problem is that uh, consumer manufacturers discount too much. Um, and we've, we've seen that occur in some of the pilots that we've done where by utilizing Optimizer, we were able to save a significant amount of um, money um, because we recommended promotions that had a lower discount than the client was actually delivering. So the ROI at a, at a high level is around that trade rate. It's measured slightly differently depending on the customer. Is it uh, trade spend against uh, revenue or by margin or by volume? When we move on to smart assets, um, there's two areas there. One is around asset utilization. So if you've made this big capital expenditure in buying these refrigerated assets and putting them out in the field, you want to keep track of them and make sure that they're being used. As I mentioned, there's about 6% that are not running. There's about 5% that are lost or stolen every year. And by uh, connecting them through um, IoT, you know where they are and you know whether they're running or not. And we can be proactive to make sure they're up and running because only working and available assets can have inventory sold through them. So they generate revenue for the client as well. So they'll see an uptick in revenue um, because those assets are being utilized. Another um, ROI metric is that typically the account managers have to spend a lot of time going to the individual outlets and seeing the asset. You know, is there inventory in there? Is it running? I need to turn it back on again. If we have it connected to uh, the internet and managed by smart assets, we can do all of that remotely. And that removes that visit. And that visit can be up to $75 per visit per, um, per account manager. So that has a natural saving as well. Doug, my question to you is, obviously Salesforce and its clouds have uh, a long reputation of success. They wouldn't be as big as, as they are if they didn't. Um, you're a newer solution and you sit on top of Salesforce, but you obviously have to, uh, to a degree, uh, stand on your own merit. So for companies that are looking to evaluate what PS Ignite offers, what type of situation or what type of a, uh, an opportunity have you given them to really evaluate the value that your solutions can bring to them? Yeah. Um, so we actually have a really robust process that we take companies through that want to examine our solutions. Um, we want them to be able to clearly, one, understand the capabilities of our solution. Number two, how their business users will actually interact with our solutions. And three, how they'll achieve those measurable results in ROI, which Alan just spoke about. What we do is we start with a discovery process 
to first understand the key business drivers, um, whether they're perceived or real pain points. Um, with Optimizer, for example, we want to understand the breadth of markets, accounts, distribution processes, discounts, promotions, both the tactics and causes that Alan talked about um, that a company is working with, and then also make sure we really understand what their commercial goals are, um, which, of course, change period to period and year over year. Uh, sometimes it's market share. Other times it's revenue or margin. But quite often it's a combination of these. It's really this mix of competing goals that Optimizer is really good at sorting out. For smart assets, it's a similar approach. We always put the business challenge first, and then we work from there. So we want to understand the sorts of assets that are in the field, in what sort of establishments are they deployed, and how the effectiveness of these assets can be maximized. Most importantly, there's this dimension in terms of maximizing the people time, doing value-added sales activities, not inventory checking or order taking. Like with Optimizer, we want to know for the stakeholders their specific business objectives by which their success is going to be measured. With this input, we project what the key benefits of the solution will be. And, you know, we can look at different dimensions like um, asset loss, asset downtime, or out of stocks. Once we have alignment on those objectives, we might recommend a rollout that starts in the low hundreds to low thousands of assets and allows potential customers to better understand how they can deploy smart assets into their business process for things like placement, movement, or even maintenance. Because we always focus on the business problem, this is generally the evaluation process through which we guide our customers. Doug, I want to do a little bit of future forward looking over here, which is I want to jump from what we discussed as two products within the PS Ignite family. And Shri corrected his Indian accent from PS Ignite to PS Ignite, if you noticed. And so when we look future forward, I would love to discuss pipeline and what those genius minds of both of you and Austin have cooking in the factory. So how are you planning to grow? What does the pipeline look like? And really, what's next for PS Ignite? So we have a really strong pipeline right now, consisting of some very exciting brands and manufacturers. But of course, we're always looking for more significant opportunities, especially in fourth quarter this year. How we plan to grow is to partner in a significant way with Salesforce, since our applications are native to their platform, and really complement their consumer package goods strategy. At the same time, we also want to partner with organizations which have complementary solutions to ours. One such partner is CPG Toolbox, which offers trade promotions management through which the optimized plans we develop can be executed. And of course, we're also focusing on building out our own sales channel to deliver leads and close business. Our strategy going forward is to look at other industries or potentially deeper within CPG to create additional applications. Our goal is to be the best vertical application builder on top of Salesforce for the market. Peter, here's my big takeaway listening to Doug and Alan. So the strength of PS Ignite is clearly their knowledge and command of modern tech. We talk about AI, ML, 
artificial intelligence and taking that and applying it against the spectrum of the CPG industry within the Salesforce environment and the Salesforce cloud and being able to uh, really build muscle power for CPG on just a variety of applications. Doug's latest example was trade promotion optimization. Alan spoke to sensors on, I can think of so many applications for sensors inside a retail environment that could range from a vending machine all the way to a shelf. And of course, bringing all this together for speed, agility, and outcomes is the ROI as earlier discussed. So folks, for our audience, remember, episodes like this, where Peter and I do like to roll up our sleeves and really get into the outcome stack is reshaping in this industry and the advantages bringing to the industry. And so much more content can be found on cpgguys.com. Be part of this growing family of listeners, easiest way. LinkedIn.com, search bar, CPG Guys, blue plus follow button and be part of this discussion. You get to shape the outcomes. You get to shape who comes on the show. You get to shape what you want to hear. Alan and Doug, sincere thank you for giving us your time today and being part of the CPG guys. Thanks so much for having us, Ray and Peter. Really appreciate it. Thank you, Peter. And if you haven't heard it already, that episode was released on Saturday, August 28th of 2021. You can always scroll back on the 40 plus platforms Peter and I and the CPG guys have these discussions on. And if you're listening to this episode, you're well into fall and Halloween will be here soon. That's it for this episode. See you soon. Talk to you soon on another episode of the CPG Guys. The content in this podcast episode is provided for general informational purposes only. By listening to our episode, you understand that no information contained in this episode should be construed as advice from CPG Guys LLC or the individual author, hosts, or guests, nor is it intended to be a substitute for research on any subject matter. Reference to any specific product or entity does not constitute an endorsement or recommendation by CPG Guys LLC. The views expressed by guests are their own, and their appearance on the program does not imply an endorsement of them or any entity they represent. The views expressed by CPG Guys LLC do not represent the views of their employers or the entity they represent. CPG Guys LLC expressly disclaims any and all liability or responsibility for any direct, indirect, incidental, special, consequential, or other damages arising out of any individual's use of, reference to, or inability to use this podcast or the information we present in this podcast.